Welcome to A Bigger Life, where you can break through the distractions, stop, listen, and speak to God in prayer. I'm Dave Cover. I want to help you use the Bible as your conversation with God so you can live a bigger life. Let me ask you a question. Do you desire God? With any desire we have that we pursue, we have to use our imagination. We imagine a possible experience that makes us desire it more, maybe a dessert. Do I want to have ice cream with peanuts and chocolate syrup with a brownie? Well, you're imagining that, which makes you want to do it. Do I want to go to Sparky's or do I want to go to Andy's or whatever? Any kind of purchase that we make, we're using our imagination of using something, having something. We use our imagination on whether or not we want to pursue a relationship or a vacation or take a new job or buy a house or go have a meal, go out to dinner, have someone over, or even going to church, you're using your imagination. You're you're thinking through an image of being at church. Do I want to be at church this morning or do I want to go golfing or whatever? Our imagination, the imagery that comes to our mind that we picture, an unseen reality, a possibility is what fuels our desires, makes us pursue something as a desire. And often the reason we desire other things more than God is a lack of using our imagination. And that's what worship is. Worship is using, in many ways, using our imagination to to fuel our desires for God. We're not imagining something that's not real any more than imagining the dessert doesn't make the dessert real. You're imagining something that's real, but it's unseen right now. But that's what fuels our desire for God. And there's a lot of biblical imagery in worship that God uses in the Psalms and God uses all throughout the Bible. Reading anything like anything will have imagery to it, even in the Gospels. In the Gospel of John, John loves to use imagery. And the, the, the gospel of John is always bringing something to present to us, to present to our imagination, to see Christ in a deeper way, to see Christ in a real, a realer, is realer a word? I don't know, more real way. Now, in the gospel of John, and I, I think I've said this before, but in the gospel of John in particular, the number seven is a repeated number. The reason why is because there are seven days in the first page of the Bible, seven days of Genesis, that come to the seventh day, which is seen as this culmination of perfection, God indwelling his creation, this seventh day of rest, this day of shalom, this day of God's kingdom. This, this, there's a lot of symbolism in that. And so it, Genesis is just full of sevens. The first sentence of Genesis has seven words. The second verse of Genesis has two times seven words. There are sevens all throughout the first page of the Bible. And that's also true in the book of Revelation that the Apostle John wrote. There are sevens everywhere because seven is pointing to this perfection, this kingdom of God, this flourishing, this well-being, this shalom that will fill creation. 
And it's telling us that Jesus is the shalom that we seek. So we see all throughout the book of John, the Apostle John is giving us an image of Jesus in sevens. So there are seven miracles of Jesus. There are seven I am statements where Jesus gives us a metaphor of something that is true about himself. So Jesus says, I am the true vine. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the gate by which you enter the sheepfold. I am the light of the world. And then the one he gives us in John chapter 6 is, I am the bread of life. So John the Apostle likes sevens because he's picking up on the first page of the Bible. He has all these sevens, and the the idea here is that it gives us something true about a way that Jesus is the fulfillment. He is the perfection. He is the shalom. He is the seventh day. And so John 6 tells us one of Jesus' miracles called signs. It's one of the seven And it also leads into one of the seven I am statements. The story is found in all four of the Gospels. It's one of the only miracles, I think, that's found in all four of the Gospels. It's found in John 6, verse 3 says, Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. Now, he's on the other side of the Sea of Galilee. What's really interesting now is you can actually use Google Earth and you can zoom in by satellite on exactly where Jesus sat. You'll see these mountainsides on the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And this is where exactly John is talking about this is happening. Verse 5, when Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, one of his disciples, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he had already in mind what he was going to do. That's what John said. Jesus is asking this of Philip because he's going to, well, quote, test him. And a lot of times I think Jesus does that with us. Jesus brings problems our way that he already knows what he's going to do, but he's doing it to test us. He's doing it to provide an opportunity for us to think through how does our faith in Christ affect what I'm going to do right now in this situation. So verse 8 says, Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. Now, again, that's five plus two equals seven. I'm not saying that this didn't happen exactly like that. I think it did. But I think these things are happening because it's showing us something about Jesus that's bringing about the fulfillment of creation, bringing us back to the seventh day of the first page of the Bible. Peter's brother, Andrew, goes on to say, but how far will they go among so many? Turns out there was over 5,000 people there. Jesus says, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, John says. Now, again, if you zoom in on Google Earth, you'll see a lot of grass, so it's kind of cool. And they sat down. It says about 5,000 men were there. Jesus took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. Now, it's interesting here because it's five loaves and two fish, and the big thing that's going to be pointed to here are the, the, the loaves of bread. Now, I think I'd rather have the fish, but the loaves of bread is going to be the imagery. It's going to be this metaphor of something that Jesus is for us. So verse 12, 
When they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. So John says, so they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves and left over by those who had eaten. So here's the thing is that 12, again, is another number of significance. 12 represents the full kingdom of God. There are 12 tribes of Israel. There are 12 apostles. 12 represents the the totality of what the kingdom of God is. The kingdom of God is going to be this reality of seven of reality of everyone having enough to eat, everyone being satisfied, everyone having all as much as they want. And so in, in later in John 6, Jesus crosses back over the side of the Sea of Galilee where he, where he is most of the time, where Nazareth is and, and where Capernaum is and all that, Capernaum. Uh, and Jesus is talking to the people who came back over because they couldn't find out where he went, so they went on the other side and he found him. He's talking to the people after this that ate the 5,000, the 5,000 people that ate the loaves and the fish, and he's talking about their desire for only physical satisfaction because they're looking for him. They want their physical needs met. So verse 26, Jesus answered, and listen to this, very truly I tell you, or truly, truly I say to you is, is, is how he actually says it. You are looking for me not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. It's interesting because Jesus says, look, that was a sign. Yes, I know your belly was full. Yes, I know that's what you're wanting, but you're missing the sign that should point you to something greater, something that you should not miss. Like all the miracles of Jesus, they're metaphors that ultimately pointed to the bigger story of restoration in the gospel. So we are blind and the gospel will allow us, the restoration will allow us to truly see. Imagine seeing if how we see now is called blindness. We're lame, but the kingdom of God, we're going to be restored and truly be able to walk. Imagine what walking will be in the kingdom of God, whatever that means, if what we do now is considered unable to walk, being being lame, being crippled. Imagine what it would be to hear when sight is restored. Imagine what it would be to be somebody who has our diseases healed. So the bread that Jesus multiplied to satisfy, to fill everyone's hunger abundantly beyond what they could even eat, to have 12 basketfuls left over, 12 representing the full kingdom of God, was a miracle that pointed to our deeper reality of our life's hunger, our life's desires that cannot be satisfied by anything in this world, our hunger and our thirst that's ultimately for God, but that we can easily ignore by just constantly consuming other things. So here's what Jesus is saying. Look, your desire, your hunger is actually for God. There's this hunger inside of you, this emptiness, this infinite empty that you're just ignoring because you're ignoring it by constantly consuming other things, whether it's entertainment or whether it's people or whether it's food or whether it's other things. We're trying to numb ourselves to the infinite emptiness inside of us. And that's what Jesus is talking about this being a sign of. So verse 33 Jesus says, for the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Now, in the Greek language, that word for world is cosmos, 
it gives life to the cosmos. It gives life to all creation. For the bread of God is the bread that comes from heaven, and it gives life to the creation. It, it, it gives restoration to the world. And so they said, always give us this bread. In verse 35, then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Now, that's a future tense. Again, it's not talking about if we believe in Jesus now, our thirst is completely quenched. It's talking about this reality. It begins now, but it's a reality fulfilled on the seventh day, so to speak, in the kingdom of God. But as I told you, Jesus says, you have seen me, and still you do not believe. So you saw this sign that I did in making bread that filled you to beyond what you needed, and yet you still don't really see me. You still don't picture, you don't have the right image of who I am. You still do not believe. Now, what Jesus is doing here in all these I am statements, I am the vine, I am the good shepherd, is that the language originally is written in is going out of its way awkwardly to emphasize I am. I am the bread of life. Jesus is saying, I am the I am. The way it's constructed is that the I am is emphatic. Jesus is saying, I am the I am. All the things that the I am is, the light, the good shepherd, the resurrection, the life, the way, the truth, the bread that comes down from heaven, these are all images. These are all pictures for our imagination to understand what it means that God is the I am. It's a sign of all that God is for us in Christ, an image. Using your imagination to image what this is a sign of about Jesus for you, that you would see and not be people who still do not believe, but that we would see these signs, these images, and use our imagination to get a better picture of what the I am is, all that God really is for us in Jesus. So in this miracle here in John 6 and also recorded in the other three Gospels, Jesus says that I am the bread of life. The I am is the bread of life for the cosmos, for the whole recreation, restoration, resurrection, and for us in our own resurrection. We know now that Jesus has already begun this recreation by rising from the dead bodily himself. He's the first of this new creation. And it's he's the bread of life for your emptiness, your hunger. Nothing else will fill it because it can't. So verse 40, Jesus says, For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. Now catch this. Jesus is actually saying this is the bigger story, the bigger story of the kingdom of God, the bigger story of the seventh day, this shalom that is happening, this story of the world is the story that I am the bread of life. I will satisfy your infinite hunger in the kingdom of God. My Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and sees the sign and believes in Him shall have eternal life, eternal satisfaction, eternal bread of life, and I will raise them up at the last day. This new creation, this resurrection, this restoration, 
that comes in the bigger story. And so here's the thing that's really important for us to get. This is why we have to learn to worship, to worship God in spirit and truth. Because in worship, I remind myself that I truly am spiritually hungry for God, for the bread of life, for the only one who can fill my soul, my emptiness, that I can spend this whole life working for and consuming food, unquote, but it's going to spoil and then I die. And it's a dead end story. If I spend my life pursuing those things because they grab my imagination more, I'm going to spend my life pursuing a dead end. But the bigger story that my life is in is in the story of who do I believe the Christ truly is for me? Am I pursuing him the way a hungry person pursues food? Am I pursuing him the way a thirsty person pursues water? So verse 48, again, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness. He's talking about the Israelites in the wilderness when Moses was with them and God provided manna. It says, your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of of the world. Again, the life of the cosmos, the life of creation. Jesus is clearly making the claim that he is the I am, and he is the one who gives eternal life. He gives resurrection to the whole world, this cosmos, and anyone who believes in him. He's going to give his body, his flesh, so that we would have eternal satisfaction, eternal life with a capital L. And he's talking about his body being obviously this sacrifice, and he's talking about who he is being, and he's talking about he is the one that our soul longs for, to fill our hunger. Let me ask you a question. How long can you go without food before you realize you're hungry? How many meals do you skip before you realize you need to eat, you want to eat, you start imagining food. I'm not trying to make anybody feel guilty because you're listening to this podcast. There's no reason to guilt motivate anybody because we're all trying to do it best we can. But how long before you realize you haven't read your Bible last, haven't worshiped? How many meals can you skip with God, so to speak, before you realize you need to eat? Remember, Jesus says in Matthew 4, 4, that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. That's what we're doing here in this podcast. We're reminding ourselves, I need to eat. I need to feed off of the Holy Spirit's words. I need to worship. I need to feed off the word of God. I need to feed off of Christ because he is the one my soul is hungry for. He is the one that I long for. He is the one who satisfies my greatest need. And he is the only one that can satisfy this emptiness in me. Nothing else can fill this emptiness in me because that emptiness is a hole created by the I am that only the I am can fill. I really like this passage in Revelation chapter 7 when it's talking about this seventh day, this kingdom of God when it comes and it says, when Christ comes in verse 16, never again will they hunger, never again will they thirst, 
The sun will not beat down on them, nor any scorching heat, for the Lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. This is again another metaphor. It's another image for us to picture this kingdom of God that is the promise. It's cryptic, but it says it's a place where we will never, ever hunger again. We won't thirst again because God will be with us. He will be our shepherd and he will lead us to springs of living water. This is all imagery. This is all poetry. This is all appealing to our imagination because it's giving us something to picture as we worship. The Bible's pointing to this idea of our hunger and our thirst being the spiritual realities of our soul. And that's what we remember when we think of Jesus as the bread of life. He is the only one that satisfies our thirst, our hunger. He's the only one that satisfies our soul. He's the only one that our soul actually longs for. When we worship, we we pray, Lord Jesus, you are the only glory that satisfies my soul. You are the only bread of life, this bread of heaven that can fill my hunger. Your beauty is the beauty I long for. Your goodness is the goodness that I want, that I need. You are the only source of lasting, eternal joy. Joy exists because you are the creator of joy and you are the source of joy because you are the I am. This is what it means that you are life, that you are the bread of life that satisfies my soul. Lord Jesus, you are the I am. You are the one who is the source of all existence. Nothing exists that you haven't made. It says in the first chapter of the Gospel of John, Speaking of Jesus, through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life. In you is life. You are the author of life. You are the source of all that exists. You are the I am. There is no life apart from you. There is no existence apart from you. There is no satisfaction apart from you. Only emptiness. You are the author of life, the giver of life, and I live right now because you give me life. I breathe right now because you give me breath, the breath of life. My heart beats right now because you've given me one more beat of my heart. Every moment you sustain my life. It says in Colossians 1.16, for in him, in Christ, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. What an amazing truth about the I am, the bread of life. I exist because you made me. I exist because you created me. I exist because you will for me to exist in your universe. And I exist by you and through you and for you. You are the one who fills me because you created me for you to fill. My life is for you. I don't exist to find my own purpose. I exist because you have a purpose for me that's forever. I don't exist to find my own meaning. I exist because you have a meaning for my life that's eternal and that's real and that's significant and that's satisfying. It is the only purpose 
and meaning that will truly satisfy because you are the I am and you satisfy my heart. You satisfy my longings. You satisfy my soul because you created my longings for only you to be able to satisfy, to fill. You're the only one who satisfies my soul eternally. You will be my God. You will be the one whose presence wipes away every tear and is life itself. You are the only one who can fill my soul with living water. You are the only one who can satisfy my longing with the bread of life, the bread from heaven, because you are the I am. You are the one who fills my soul with the true bread, true satisfaction. And so I worship you, Lord Jesus. I see the sign. I see you and I believe in you. I believe you are the one who fills my soul. I see the sign of what you did in your miracle and I come to you for this full miracle of my life, this eternal life, eternal bread, eternal satisfaction. I can't find it anywhere else. It doesn't exist anywhere else. I worship you. I desire you more than anything else. I desire you most because you alone can satisfy my ultimate desires. And so I come to you, Lord Jesus, as the bread of life. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to A Bigger Life, a podcast of The Crossing, a church in Columbia, Missouri. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and give it a rating so people can find this content more easily or consider texting it to a friend or posting it on social media. Thanks for listening.